Good morning, River Ridge. So good to be with all of you this morning. My name is Matt. I work in student ministry, and occasionally I have the honor and privilege to stand on this stage, and I get to talk to the older students. It is, <laughs> honestly, I mean, it really is, if you think about it, like, all, I, I think students and adults have a lot in common. Like, we share a lot of the same struggles, so I say adults are just students with debt, right? That's all we are, students with debt. <laughs> We, we share a lot of the same in common. We just have different ways to cope, everybody, right? Like we have like credit cards and cruises and things that we get to do that puts us in a different place than students get to do. But it truly is the joy of my life uh, to serve in student ministry on staff here. Uh, we've had a great summer so far. Uh, we've actually had an opportunity to take a trip back to my home area in the Gorge area and took a bunch of students rafting, played paintball and did high ropes. I think we have a picture we can show up here. We have about 80 students from the Valley that went with us from down here, uh, spent a week uh, up at Alpine Camp in Beckley. Uh, we called it Emerge Summer Camp. We actually partnered with a couple other churches. Had about 250 people total at this camp. And, and we did activities throughout the day and it was a blast. But I think what I think was most the most impactful and the highlight for most students was what we did every night in sessions. So I think I have a picture of that to show. Yeah, and I don't know if you've ever been in the room with that many students just giving praise and glory to God. It's just so much energy for them to be there at the same time. But I tell you, like there was a lot of decisions made that week. There's a lot of decisions that I know will impact them for the rest of their life because I was there as a student and I've experienced that. There was also 33 uh, high school, middle schoolers that stood up on stage the last night and gave their testimony to the whole room. Can we just celebrate what God is doing in the lives of our students? I think it was just powerful for me to be there, but that's not why you're here. I just wanted to share a little bit about that. Uh, today, we're wrapping up our series in Judges. Uh, I found myself, I hope you've enjoyed this series. I found myself going back and just kind of rereading some old stories that, that I've been in before, the stories that I remember from a felt board in Sunday school, everybody. Y'all remember those? Like seeing some of those again with Gideon and just the things like where they marched around and got to blow the trumpets and all the fun stuff that we got to see all those happen. If you have been following along with us, then you already know this, but I would encourage you to go back and re-watch some of those series if you missed any of them. See, Judges is a book about heroes. And just to recap kind of where we've been, Judges is about these men and women who, who, who came in and rescued Israel. Not that they were perfect, but they were submissive to God, right? These men and women found that when they were submissive to God, God would work through them in amazing ways. We've covered a lot of these already, so I encourage you to go back, but Judges is also a book about sin and its consequences. See, we see this pattern occur over and over again, this cycle of sin, like God's people sin, so God judged them, and then God's people repent, and then God sends them a deliverer, a judge, and today's story is no different. So men, this story today is for you. Like guys, I want you to listen to the story. Like if there was a list of manly stories in the Bible, then this would be on top of that list. Because today, everybody, we get to talk about Samson. And Samson's one of my favorite stories from the Bible, Samson was one of the strongest men who ever lived. He was a man's man. Uh, the Bible says he once killed a lion with his bare hands. Like, how cool is that, right? He once lost a bet, so he killed 30 men and, and just because he lost the bet, right? He played a prank, so he caught 300 foxes and tied them together tail to tail and burned down a whole village. Like, how cool would that be, like, to see this played out in a movie? I always thought that this would be, like, a really cool movie, just an epic movie to watch, uh, a guy's movie for sure. So Samson is a man who had great physical strength. 
He was given supernatural strength. However, he did have a weakness. And we're gonna see what that was in Samson's life. And hopefully today you're gonna learn a few things that, we, that can help you as well. So if you wanna turn in your Bibles to Judges 13, we're gonna begin in verse one. Grab your Bibles if you've been following along. Grab your phones, that's fine. You can highlight that as well. I encourage you guys to read the scripture. We're gonna go through a lot of scriptures today. And the first one in Judges 13.1 says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Surprise, surprise, right? The cycle repeats again. Sin and judgment, haven't we been here before? So God prepares for them a deliverer, one that they don't know they need at the time, a judge, and his name was Samson. So I wanna give you a little bit of background on Samson. Samson was a miracle baby. Uh, he was, an angel appeared to his mom and actually told her that she would give birth even though she was barren. Um, God was sending him to deliver his people and the angel explained that. The angel also explained that he was given a Nazarite vow. He was gonna be a Nazarite. Now a Nazarite was a person who took a vow to be set apart for God's service. So oftentimes this would be a temporary vow. Uh, this would be uh, something that they would do for a season but in Samson's case it says it was for life. As a Nazarite, Samson wasn't allowed to do three things. He wasn't allowed to cut his hair, he wasn't allowed to drink alcohol and he wasn't allowed to touch anything Dead. Now this vow, this isn't something that we follow, but this was a Nazarite vow and this was something that he followed. This vow was actually set up at the time to set you apart, either to set you apart for God or to set you apart from his people so that you would be different. The third thing about Samson is Samson was given a purpose. Judges uh, 13.5 actually says that Samson will take the lead in delivering Israel from the Philistines. He was given a clear direction for his life, not directly, but through his parents. His parents, the angel told them that he will take the lead. And Samson, it doesn't say that the angel ever spoke directly to Samson or told him clearly what to do, but it does say in verse 25 that the spirit of the Lord began to stir in Samson at a young age. Now his family, growing up, Samson's tribe uh, is called Dan, and it continued to wander from village to village, and they really had no permanent place. Samson must have grown up with his tribes wandering, like his yearning for a permanent home. So his visits to the tribal army camp stirred his heart, and God's spirit began to prepare him for his role as a judge and as a leader against the Philistines. See, at a young age, Samson looked up and saw what wasn't right and wanted to do something about it. See, I think many of us can relate to that in our lives. Like many of us can relate to a moment in our lives where we looked up and we saw something that we just thought, that isn't right. And we want to do something about it. Well, let me tell you this morning, if you can look up and hear this, God has a purpose for your life. Let me tell you that God has a plan and a purpose for your life. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. I don't know if this is your first time in church hearing that, but God made you. I love to say it this way, that God made a purpose and then he went back and custom made you for that purpose. See, in fact, for most of us, we aren't given like this audible message. We aren't given this clear direction that we know what that is. But like Samson, I think there's a lot of things that are indicators that we can talk about. Things that stir your heart may indicate areas where God wants us to serve and help others. See, God uses a variety of means to develop us, to prepare us. He uses things like hereditary traits. He uses things like environmental influences, personal experiences, special callings. 
just as he did with Samson. This, this preparation for us often begins long before we're adults. We know when something just isn't right. Now, oftentimes we want to do something about it, but we just don't know how or what to do. Then over time, whether by choice or acceptance or ignorance or whatever, we just kind of move on and we just kind of see past whatever that was that stirred our heart. But I wanna ask you today to remember what that was. I wanna challenge you today, because today we're gonna look at Samson's life, but I wanna set this up with a question. What are the things in your life that you aren't willing to compromise? What are the things in your life that you just aren't willing to compromise? There's no price to get it from you, and you'd pay anything to keep it. We're gonna pick up the story for Samson in chapter 14, verse one. It says, Samson went down to Timnah, and there he saw a young Philistine woman. And when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now go get her for me as my wife. Samson obviously saw something he liked in this woman, right? I mean, it's probably pretty hot, maybe, I don't know. But maybe it was her personality, maybe. Maybe it was her sense of humor doesn't say. The only issue was this woman was a Philistine, right? And in those days, it would be unheard of for an Israelite to marry a Philistine. For one, it was against God's law for them to marry outside of, their, of the Israelites, right? To marry a pagan. Now, this wasn't a racist thing. This was actually uh, more like a Christian marrying a non-Christian. God just knew that it wouldn't work. Ultimately, you won't see eye to eye. So he was trying to protect them and protect them from getting influence from other faiths, other religions. See, the Philistines, number two, were also Israel's greatest enemy. So this would be a huge disgrace for Samson's family if he was to marry someone outside of Israel. But after like talking with his parents and after much prayer and consideration, the very next verse, Samson said, Go get her for me. She's the right one for me. I just love this dialogue with his parents. Clearly you can see that his motives are in the right place. If there was one verse to describe Samson's life though, that would be this verse. In a nutshell, this would describe Samson's life. I see something I want, go get it for me. But the verse continues. And it says, his parents, however, did not know that this was from the Lord. For the Lord was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time they were ruling over Israel. See, even though his desires for this female and her wonderful personality were quite possibly shallow, God was going to use it. In fact, he put that desire in him because he knew that it would take a man who was so fixated on what he wanted that nothing would stop him. And nothing would stop him to start this battle with the Philistines. The Israel had become comfortable in their captivity. They're not looking for a fight. They're actually just, everything's at peace right now. But God is wanting them to be out of that. God wanted to deliver them. So here comes Samson. And now we get to run through some of the cool things that happened in Samson's life. Uh, the first thing you see is like Samson's parents finally agree to let him marry this girl. So on their way down to Timnah, it says in the next verse that as they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him and the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. Now that's pretty cool, right? I think that's noteworthy. That's maybe probably just to show like how strong he was as a person. 
I don't know otherwise why that's in there, but I don't know if you've ever came across a lion in the wild before. Like I've seen them at the zoo and I'm just telling you, man, those are some mean creatures. I've came across a bobcat in the wild before. That thing was probably about 30 pounds, maybe soaking wet. It scared me to death. And I can't imagine seeing something as ferocious as a lion. And the Bible says that he tore it apart like somebody would a young goat. I guess young goats are pretty easy to tear apart. I don't know, I've never <laughs> tried that myself. Uh, the next verse, listen, then he went down and talked with the woman and he liked her, everybody. Isn't that good? He liked her. So he actually talked to her. So maybe it wasn't her sense of humor to begin with. I don't know. But don't miss this. The verse right before that said, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Then he tore apart the lion. It wasn't in his own strength that he did it. To which most people would recognize that normal people can't devour a lion as one would a young goat. I don't know what it's like tearing apart a goat, but most people know that you can't just do that. So just remember that. Then the story takes a pretty strange turn. It says sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. And as he looked at it, he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He reached down and scooped up some honey with his hands and ate it as he went along. Like, that's cool. Like, that's just like an ultimate like moment where he's like, yeah, I defeated you, and now I'm gonna eat the honey out of you, whatever, it's pretty cool. Uh, story goes on. He was given 30 companions to celebrate this wedding feast. Like just 30 random dudes just show up to party with him. Uh, and he tells them this riddle. So as they're just kicking it, hanging out, talking about it, he tells them that if they can guess this riddle within the seven days of the wedding feast, then he will give each of them a new suit. But if they can't guess it, then they each have to buy him a new suit. And the riddle is this. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Of course, we all know what he's talking about, right? Eating honey out of a lion's carcass, of course. But no one else would have a clue. In fact, it's impossible to solve. The Bible says that his parents didn't even know it happened. Like he didn't even tell them where he got the honey. He shared it with them, but nobody had a clue what was going on. And several days go by and they ultimately convince his soon-to-be wife to tell them the riddle so that they can not lose. Or else they threaten her to burn her and her whole household to death. Well, that escalated pretty quickly, right? It's just simple wager ultimately turns into this dumpster fire where, where Samson's soon-to-be wife is now threatened on her life. So Samson's wife did exactly what you would expect her to do. She started crying, right? She said, you hate me, you don't really love me. And she continued to cry for the entire seven days. The Bible says for the entire seven days of that wedding feast, she continued to cry until he gave in eventually and told her the answer to the riddle. See, here we see exactly what Samson do, do what exactly what any other man would do, right? Any other man would eventually give in. She's just trying to protect herself. Like she's just trying to protect her and her family and ultimately these companions that are trying to attend her wedding feast, but they're also trying to kill her. I don't know, really know what's going on here. So ultimately they solve the riddle. And then Samson in his eloquent way with words, I love this verse, I had to put this here. Samson said, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would have not have solved my riddle. He definitely crossed the line on that one. I think so, definitely crossed the line on that one. But the story continues. Then the spirit of the Lord, notice the spirit of the Lord, came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything and gave their clothes to those that explained the riddle. Notice the spirit of the Lord came upon him again. 
right? God was using all of this, believe it or not, as crazy as it is, to bring a division between Israel and the Philistines. And later on, he goes back to get his bride and he learns that his bride has now been given to one of his companions, so-called friends, right? This really makes him mad. And someone said, uh, so Samson said to them, this time I have a right to get even. Like not before, before that was just a prank, a joke, whatever. This time I'm actually righteous in my anger. I'm really gonna harm them. So here he is, he's furious. He does what any real man would do. The next verse, he went out and caught 300 foxes, tied them tail to tail in pairs. He then fastened a torch to every pair of tails, lit the torches and let the foxes loose in the standing grain of the Philistines. Now I'll admit those methods are a bit unusual, but that's pretty cool. Like he literally burned the village down like by tying foxes together. But the result is the same. Samson's angry, Philistines get more angry. The Philistines are mad, they go and ask who did this and they were quickly told Samson. It was Samson because they took his companion. Like it was Samson. So the Philistines went up and they burned her and her father to death. So now Samson's more angry. Samson says, since you've acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. He attacked them viciously, slaughtered many of them. And believe it or not, this is all part of God's plan. This was exactly what God had intended. This is Samson doing what the angel told his, his parents, taking the lead and delivering them from the Philistines. So now he's mad. He storms off to a cave, doesn't wanna to talk to anybody. All right, the Philistines actually come to Judah looking for him. And then it says, then 3,000 men from Judah went down from the cave and, and to the rock of Edom and said to Samson, don't you realize what you've done to us? Like, don't you realize that you're causing a lot of problems? You see, they weren't looking to pick a fight. See, the Israelites at this time, they were actually kind of happy in their captivity. They were comfortable, they were at peace. They didn't want to start anything. You see, I don't know about you, but I think being comfortable is a dangerous place to be. If you're comfortable with the things that you have in life, you're not really looking to what's next. You're not thinking about what's next. And I honestly think that Satan really wants us to be comfortable in our lives. You see, if we're comfortable, then we just kind of let things happen, right? Philistines, they're the, they're the boss, you know, we're happy, we're working for them, everything's good. You see, if we're, if we're comfortable, then we don't wanna cause any issues. No, no, we're not gonna cause any issues. Yeah, they killed my family, it's fine, whatever, just let go, right? And we just allow it to continue because we don't want to start anything. Our life's comfortable. But if I can tell you this, I think the world has yet to see what can happen when one person is willing to sacrifice everything to pursue what God has called them to do, when one person is willing to pick a fight and to follow it through completion. Samson's story, he agrees, he lets them, he says, hey, you guys can tie me up, don't let them take me, just tie me up and hand me over, it's fine. And it's all playing out as exactly as God intended and then again, next verse, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Now that would be an epic part of the movie, right? You can just see him going up to the donkey and just grabbing his jaw and going up and killing a thousand men. I'm just thinking like gladiator style, like just running around killing people. He killed a thousand Philistines. But notice the spirit of the Lord has came upon him. And now, the next verse, Samson 
led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. I wish this was the end of the story. Like I wish, as weird as it was, I wish it was like, hey, he killed a thousand, he did his job and move on, but it's too good to be true. The very next verse, one day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. So here we go again. He saw another woman that he wanted, only this time it was a little more obvious. Maybe her profession gives it away, right? That he wasn't looking at her personality. He was looking for something different. So he's a little more bold in his disobedience now, but that isn't the key point. See, what I want you to notice here is that he's beginning to rely on his own strength. See, the people of Gaza, pretty much anybody in the area knows who Samson is and they just want him dead because he's the only one that's causing any problems. They find out where he is. So they surround him and it says, but Samson lay there until the middle of the night. Then he got up, this is pretty cool. He took a hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts, tore them loose, bar and all, and lifted them to his shoulders, carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. That's pretty awesome. Like, I mean, that's a pretty powerful demonstration of strength. Like, you're gonna come at me, I'm just gonna tear your gate up, it's whatever. But if you notice, the spirit of the Lord didn't come upon him. This is the first time we see him perform an amazing act of strength without the spirit of the Lord. Now, just a a little side note on that, like, you can do a lot of things in your own strength. And, And Samson proves that. But just just remember that. This is the first time that it didn't come across. In the next verse, sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the Valley of Sorek, whose name was, everybody whose name was? Delilah. Now, if you've ever heard the story of Samson, you've probably heard of Samson and Delilah. She's a person that lives in the Philistine territory. The Philistines find out about it. The rulers wanna come kill him. They wanna get rid of him. So it says, the rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. And oh, by the way, each of us will give you 1,100 shekels if you're able to do that. They wanted Samson gone. Like he is the only problem in disturbing the peace that they have right now. They were willing to pay a really high price. I think it's worth noting that this was no small sum of money. Later on, it says 10 shekels is equivalent to about a year's wages. So this would be 110 times that. And by the way, there's five capitals in this area. So if you run the numbers according to today's money, this would be somewhere upwards around $25 million, like for us to experience, just running the numbers. So it's no small sum of money. But you know, Delilah, she really loves Samson. So let's see what happened next. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. I don't see any hesitation there. Like, I know it's hard to read emotion in the text, but it's interesting to me, like, how quickly she is. Like, nope, I'll take the money. Like, I want, I want the money. But Samson is so confident in who he is. He's so confident that nothing can happen to him. He lies to her. He tells her, it's the material that's used. You, you have to tie me up with seven fresh bowstrings that have never been used and then I'll become as weak as any other man. And then she tries it, she ties him up. The men are hiding in the back and she says, Samson, Samson, they're upon you. And he breaks the bowstrings and runs out and and, uh, gets away. And she gets upset. She's like, how could you lie to me? How could you? So she tries it again. He lies again. He said, no, it's the ropes. You gotta use ropes, new ropes that have never been used. He breaks free again, upsets her. 
She tries again, he lies again. This time, she weaves his hair into a loom. Notice how close he's getting to one of the three things, right? She weaves his hair into a loom and, and he, he breaks free again, he gets up and it says he swings it around and just destroys the, everybody that's in distance of his hair. I don't know how long it is. How wondering, and then uh, he, he stands up. And I'm just wondering though, looking at this, I'm just wondering, like how does he not get it? Like how can he, like reading this story, does anybody else do that like when you're reading the Bible? Like how does he not see what's happening? How can he be so blind to what's going on in the story? It's so easy for us to see. So now she's upset, right? You lied to me three times. I tried to kill you three times, but you lied to me three times. So now she uses the oldest trick in the book, everybody. She cries. She said to him, how can, I say, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me. You haven't told me the secret of your great strength was such nagging and prodding. I had to put this on the screen because I don't want you to think I'm that way, but this is really what it says. Was such nagging and prodding, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. That's the NIV version, everybody. That's not Matt, that's the NIV. Says it right there. I can't relate. But hasn't Samson, <coughs> hasn't Samson been here before? Hasn't Samson seen this before? Why does he keep falling into the same trap? Right, we read this story and it's a fun story and it's almost comical to watch. But how could he be so ignorant to what's going on? So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from birth. If anyone, uh, if my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. So he finally breaks down and he tells her the truth. But he's not worried about it. I mean, why should he be? God hasn't left him. God's provided. In the next verse, after putting him to sleep on her lap. Now that's a sermon for the students I gotta teach later. I'm gonna come back to that one. But after putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair. And so began to subdue him. And his great strength left him. Then she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke up from his sleep and thought, I'll go out just as I did before. I'll go out just as I did before and shake myself free. But he didn't know that the Lord had left him. He just thought that God would always be there. I've done it before. The next verse says the Philistines then seized him. They gouged out his eyes. They took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in prison. So what can we learn from Samson's life? Well, if you're taking notes, I got three things that I wanna talk about. And the first one is spiritual failure is seldom an explosion. It's usually an erosion. See, we see it in Samson's life, right? Each time he pushes a little bit further. I don't know if you noticed, but in order to get honey out of a lion's carcass, what did he have to do? Three things, he had to touch a dead body. And now, it's not our law, but that was his law. What about when he made the bet? Do you think drinking alcohol may have been involved? Again, not our law, but clearly it was his. Tradition for them is for wine to be served at this seven-day rager of an event that they do for weddings, man. I can't imagine going to a seven-day event. But he was taking that line every time, pushing it. 
Now God still used him in spite of what he'd done, but he became more bold in his actions. Right, first, he wanted to marry someone out of his people group, which God ordained and God actually set up for him to do that so that he would start the problems with the Philistines. But later, he spends the night with a prostitute. I don't really see how God used that one. Then with Delilah, he first lied about the material. He, then he talked about weaving his hair, right? He got closer and closer, and then ultimately, he just said, hey, my hair's never been cut. He became so bold that he thought that God would show up no matter what. Like, why wouldn't he think so? God shows Samson so much grace until one day he didn't. So what's that mean for us? I'm just gonna be honest. I think we need to examine the areas of our lives that we're compromising. We, we need to look at where we are giving in where God clearly tells us not to. What are the things in your life that you're willing to compromise? Maybe for some of us, it's what we're consuming. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. What are the things that we're allowing to have a presence in our lives or a voice in our lives and in our family's lives that we know are clearly not from God? Maybe it's our priorities. What are the things in our lives that we would say matter to us? And what are we doing to protect that? Now, I don't wanna get on this soapbox because I really debated on even saying this, but I just wanna be honest. Can I just be honest with you guys for a minute? Like in student ministry, I see this a lot. If you can allow me to be honest, I promise I'll be nicer next time, I promise. Sports, I love sports. I grew up playing every sport. But being in youth ministry, I now have a love-hate relationship with sports. I, what are we saying to our kids when, when we haven't let them miss practice or a game or a travel tournament in years, but they're too tired to go to student ministry? We're like, oh, you just rest. I, I know that's selfish of me, but what I'm afraid of is I think that we've grown up in church. Like we've grown our faith to the point that if we miss a service, it's okay. It's not gonna affect us, but we've neglected what it does to our kids. We don't recognize what that structure means for them. All right, done, over, I'm not gonna say it. Moving on. Proverbs 29, 18 says, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law is, everybody whoever obeys the law is, joyful, joyful. Number two, you don't have to lose your eyes to be blind. You don't have to lose your eyes to be blind. Here we see a picture of Samson's life, right? Samson, Samson losing his vision was simply a physical representation of something happened a long time ago. He lost vision for his life. He became blind to God's purpose for his life, using his strengths to benefit himself, to go out there and get whatever woman he wanted to go out there and satisfy whatever he felt like satisfying. Samson became blind to the purpose, but he also became blind to the power of other relationships in his life. Like even when he talks to his parents, right? He doesn't say, oh, parents, you have so much wisdom, tell me what to do. He says, get her for me. That makes me happy, go get it. See, your life is a reflection of your relationships. Who are you spending time with? Let me ask you this, are people close enough to you 
that you would actually listen to their correction? Do you have someone in your life that can see your blind spots, see where you're not meeting God's expectations? Are you teachable? Maybe ask it this way, what areas of your life are off limits for people to correct? Whatever area is off limits, that's exactly where the enemy is destroying. Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and you'll become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. And number three, the beginning of strength is an awareness of our weakness. The beginning of our strength is an awareness of our weakness. The last part of Samson's story is a part that I haven't shared yet. See, the Philistines, they got what they wanted, right? They, they paid Delilah, she gave him Samson, or Samson to them, they tied him up, they bound him in prison. And the Bible says that they were celebrating. It says that they were actually offering sacrifices to Dagon, their God. They're, they're so proud of what they've done, there's now peace in the kingdom. They actually send for Samson to be brought out to amuse them. It says they brought him out. And it says that Samson requested to be placed next to the two pillars of the temple. And then it says Samson prayed to the Lord. Sovereign Lord, remember me. I'm Samson, remember me. Please God, strengthen me just once more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my eyes. Then Samson, it says the next verse, then Samson reached out towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood, embracing himself against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. It says, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. See, once Samson realized his weakness, once he realized that his eyesight was gone and how much he needed God to show vision for his life, what he's supposed to do, he quickly returned to his purpose. He said, remember me, God. Remember what you told me, what you stirred in my heart when I was a kid. You told me I was gonna go and I was gonna start this fight. And this is the epic ending to a wild movie. He pushes the pillars down, kills more than when he died than when he lived. So what's that mean for you and I today? Well, for me and you, it's never too late to cry out to God. It's never too late. In fact, failure is only final when we refuse to get back up. Proverbs 24, 16 says, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. Two questions I wanna leave you with today. Number one, how are my strengths benefiting the kingdom? I wanna challenge you. I wanna challenge you to go back to that moment. Go back to where you are, where God stirred your heart. And look at what God's given you. See what it was and go find it. He's given you a purpose. Maybe you're here today and you just needed to be reminded of that. I don't know who that speaks to, whatever. Maybe you're watching online or here and you're just saying, hey, I need to go back to that purpose. Take some time this week. 
Go back and revisit that. See where God is moving in your life and see what gifts he's given you and then evaluate where am I using it? How am I using it? As a church, our job is to equip every person to equip the saints so that they can do the ministry and that's literally our job and if you have a a gift that you wanna give to God, it's our job to figure out how we can apply that to use it to equip you and reach people for Jesus. Number two, how would I know if the Spirit of God left me? Mm. I don't know if you've ever asked this question and I don't know if you've ever thought about the weight of this question. But I know that fortunately for us, there was another miracle birth after Samson. Fortunately for us, the world got someone that was bigger and stronger and better than Samson. See, Jesus came into this world. He lived a sinless life. He gives us this opportunity that we can never question if we're walking in step with the Spirit. Now, there's things that we can do to protect the presence of God, I get that but there's only one thing you ever need to do to know that you're walking with God the rest of your life and that is to give your life to Christ. So let's pray. I'm gonna give you an opportunity right now. I don't know if you're here today. I don't know if, if, you're, if you're watching online and seeing this, I don't know where, where you are, what brought you to this point. But I do know that Jesus offers this And I know that that it's literally up to us as as a church to give you an opportunity to meet Jesus and the spirit of the Lord will walk with you all the days of your life. So if you're here today and you just wanna take an opportunity to pray that literally all you have to do is repent. The Bible says that you just just throw up your hand, you, you can just throw up your hands and surrender to him, not to me. I'm not even gonna ask you to do that here, but what I'm saying is if you just say, God, I'm tired of living life my way. God, I want to follow you. I want the spirit of 